This is David Poland, and this is the audio podcast version of DP30. Yes, I've lost my own face too. Oh, there. Oh, no, you have two of them. Isn't it? Usually I'm somewhere to be found. Oh, there I am. Ah, you exist. Today, No Straight Lines, a documentary made by Vivian Kleiman and with one of the subjects, Alison Bechtel. Are you used to this part of it? Are you used to being on the other side of the camera? Uh, it took a little while, <laughs> but I've, I've come to really enjoy it because it's just, as I was saying to Allison, it's just such a delight to see such uh, a response to the film that uh, I'm just tickled, you know, by the attention that the media is giving it. And have you become familiar with being a celebrity, Ms. Bechtel? <laughs> uh, I, I guess I've gotten a, a bit used to the drill over the years, yes. Is it... Is it something you ever wanted? Is it something you were ever particularly interested in? No, I honestly find it enormously draining, <laughs> but this is for a good cause. So was cartooning always your drawing? You're always your way of putting yourself out there as opposed to actually putting yourself out there? Yes, absolutely. From being, you know, being a very small child, that was just always my thing. Um, uh, yeah, and I've had I've developed these some some semblance of social skills <laughs> out of necessity. <laughs> was there ever any? There was never any question. It sounds like of you being an artist ultimately. No, I was one of those people who was very lucky and had parents who actually encouraged me to pursue my artistic interests. I didn't have to fight anyone. And I'm guessing, Vivian, that your parents did not want you to grow up to be a producer. Uh, or a filmmaker. No, I was supposed to uh, get married and have a lot of kids. <laughs> so what took you off that path to making movies? <laughs> the minute that one realizes that one's a lesbian, uh, <laughs> you're off that path. You know, it's actually a funny thing. Um, I had no plan whatsoever of getting involved in filmmaking. Um, and one day I was working in a, a museum uh, specializing in rare books, actually. And I was learning about manuscript restoration and literally book bugs and that kind of stuff. And one day a guy walked in who had um, an idea of doing a film, a documentary, had a lot of experience. And um, I, he asked me a couple of questions and uh, in no time we sat down and wrote proposals and out came uh, uh, the first film that I was uh, involved with. And is, I mean, you made a joke of it, but is it a career defining experience to be gay? Is that a, is that a given that your whole, your sense of the world changes in a certain, in that way that from a childhood to who you will um, be when you grow up kind of thing? I think at the time when I grew up, it's different than now, but the time when I grew up, uh, especially coming out in the late seventies, it definitely was uh, a, a very deliberate choice one had to make. Look at Mary Wings, uh, this uh, comment didn't make it into the film, unfortunately, but Mary Wings was uh, talking about how she was, she taught school. Well, she, she planned on teaching school, but then she realized that as a lesbian, she could, if she had been discovered as a lesbian, that she could have been arrested for pedophilia. Uh, so times were very different than now, and uh, so the one actually had to have a little bit of uh, a deliberate choice in at least coming out um, when I grew up. You know, I, I actually think the, the film captures this historical progression really well because we, we 
start with the generation of Howard Cruz, someone who was in the closet as a cartoonist for a long time. Uh, you just couldn't be out and do work <laughs> at the time when he was starting out. And I consider myself the second generation after Howard's generation. And yeah, I made this very deliberate decision. I'm gonna be out, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna write about my lesbian life and my comics. And now these younger kids don't, it's, there's not that same kind of consequence. They, you know, they have much more freedom to make all kinds of choices. At the same time, let me just add on to that wonderful uh, comment uh, that Allison just made. Um, the uh, incidence of uh, attempted suicide among queer youth uh, exceeds the general population. So even though we have arrived at an enormous moment of acceptance uh, of uh, gender difference and variations, um, we still have a long road to hoe. What do you, I mean, it, it, as Allison has become kind of the uh, semantic distinction a walking semantic <laughs> uh, distinction in terms of where things are politically, in terms of, of culture and women, particular women in general, not just lesbian women. Um, have we reached another moment where there's a pushback, a wave coming back at gay culture? Oh, I feel like we are perpetually engaged in this, uh, you know, progress, backlash, progress, backlash. That's just how things seem to go. But yeah, I mean, the more visible something becomes, the more opportunity there is to attack it. And that's just how uh, things seem to evolve. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'd also add on that. I think that the big target today would be uh, the trans community that is really experiencing enormous um, uh, brutal uh, attacks and perhaps we're more aware of it and also at the same time people are more open about the, themselves and so it's a like Allison was saying the more visible you are then the more subject you are to uh, attack. So uh, in your early days Vivian did you know what do you, I mean it seems like you found comics pretty late in your journey in your life. Well um, actually uh, Allison's work, uh, Dykes to Watch Out For, uh, was one of the tools <laughs> that I and many of us <laughs> used to help us in find expression for ourselves, uh, to open up Dykes to Watch Out For when it would come out in the uh, uh, Bay Area paper plexus, uh, the women's paper, uh, was such a joy and such a delight. We were always looking forward to the next installment and the next story. And so I'd have to say that uh, I was dedicated to Allison's work uh, in the 80s. And then, yeah, and then it, wasn't, it wasn't about comics per se. Um, so uh, I actually, when I was approached by Justin Hall, who's a uh, uh, cartoonist himself and also uh, expert in the history of queer comics, wrote, uh, edited the first anthology, uh, No Straight Lines, uh, history of, of uh, queer comics. Um, when he approached and asked if I wanted to get involved in doing a film on the subject, I kind of hesitated. Um, and then he and a uh, friend, Greg Sroda, encouraged me to attend the first in-gathering of queer comic book artists in uh, New York. Mm -hmm. And I walked into that conference hall and I couldn't believe what I saw. The range of people, the sense of connection and community, the stories that I heard at the panels, 
um, I like to say it was a casting director's dream. <laughs> well, going back though further, I mean, it's, it, it seems like the growth of underground comments, comics, the idea of graphic novels and all of that was had this wide mixture of people expressing themselves and included a lot of misogyny as well from a lot of, of, of artists or do we, or do you guys see it that way? Was that, was that range of, you know, Crumb and Spain and guys like that, was that a, a blockade or was it just another part of the overall thing that was going on with people trying to express themselves for those 20 years before Allison really became a significant? Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm not, I don't have a clear handle on that. I mean, that whole underground scene was, yes, it was rife with misogyny. Um, no, that was just what happened because that was the, you know, that was the nature of the world. But out of that underground cartoonist world came this, these later people who were doing identity-based comics, who were doing, Howard doing gay comics, Trina Robbins starting women's comics. Um, other other comic books like Tits and Clits, th those things were very much inspired by that energy and spirit of the underground scene, uh, but <laughs> minus minus the misogyny and homophobia. Yeah, I, I want to add that um, in that first film of mine I was talking about, uh, my colleague um, uh, had a pile of crumb comics. <laughs> Mr. Natural was all over our office and um, I hated it. <laughs> However, I admired the craft. And one of the things that impressed me enormously when talking with Allison uh, for the film was even, despite the uh, one's uh, rejection of the content, there still was the appreciation of the artistry involved. And I, I really, and also uh, Howard Cruz also was commenting on valuing um, the, the actual artwork uh, that was being done. So it's a complicated relationship um, with that material. And plus there were women, I, I'd add on another person I'd like to add, there was like Lee Mars uh, doing uh, work about bisexual um, stuff. And um, it was a complicated time. Well, Alina Crum, I guess, I'm not sure that, you know, she too was doing work that was feminist, I would say, but also in that same, you know, living in that world in a weird way. Oh, her work is just, you know, it just defies any kind of categorization. Yeah. Well, isn't that kind of the story of all of this, that that's kind of the joy of queer comics and really all of the comics that are, are something more than just superheroes smashing each other? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that, you know, everyone breaking out of their categor categorical boxes is a wonderful goal. So was choosing who you wanted, the, the, what path you wanted to make as a filmmaker, Vivian, was that, uh, and who you wanted to be the filmmakers along that line difficult? Was it challenging? It was, was agonizing. It, it was agonizing. You know, Justin's book uh, includes some 70 artists. And I was supposed to select from those 70 artists. Ideally, in my world, we choose three people to profile. I absolutely couldn't do that, so I chose five. Um, and um, I knew some of them would have to be in, and also I wanted to be in. I had been friends with uh, Rupert, for example, when he lived in Oakland, so he was a shoo-in. 
Um, I didn't know and, you knew Rupert before this. Yeah, he was friends with uh, Marlon. I knew him uh, pre-accident. You know, oh. I knew him from dance parties and hanging around having dinner. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and the first time I saw him since the accident was at the Queers and Comics Conference, actually. Oh, wow. Um, so, but going back to your, your question, it was agonizing to select. I knew as a filmmaker, uh, I wanted to give as much depth and intimacy to individual stories as I could. I knew I did not want an encyclopedia of who did what when. That'd be a waste of my time. I also knew that I wanted it to appeal to a younger audience and not just be nostalgic romp through the past memory lane for older queers. And that presented, and when I first, when I saw the first rough cut, the first assembly of the film, I sat back and I went, oh, these are all older people talking about older times. And even though I swore to everybody, it was not going to uh, include anything past 2006. That was my end point. 40 years was enough. <laughs> early 70s or <laughs> early 2000s. That's enough for one documentary. But then I needed uh, to have the door open for young people. And I did an experiment. And um, it took a lot of effort in the editing room to make the experiment work. And hopefully um, people find it successful, which was to include young voices, the voices of young artists, young queer artists uh, today speaking about their work and uh, the work of the past. So was everybody ready for this to happen? All the people you went to? Everybody was completely uh, thrilled and delighted. Sometimes there were scheduling issues and most of the time it was a financial problem, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. I also wanna say that uh, I was committed to having the same cinematographer for each film shoot. Wow. Which a lot of my colleagues these days don't invest that money, but um, we could communicate. And he understood, we had, a, we had a, the continuity of visual vocabulary and approach and style and so, when at one point Jen Camper gets very emotional and talking about uh, the AIDS epidemic, um, some filmmakers might have turned off the camera after she got up and left the room. And uh, Andy knew to leave the camera rolling, as did my sound recordist. And we then get to sit and wait and experience Jen coming back, getting a hug from uh, Justin. Uh, and then sitting down and we continue. It's a just a very special moment of um, patience and of valuing um, the emotional impact that a cinematic experience can have. And that's really what I was going for more than information. Information you can get from the internet or websites. Emotion you can only get on. Well, that's what I try to do. The spirit. So Allison, you, you are one of the people who have jumped from one medium to the other, uh, which is fairly rare, really, when you've gone into, ended up on Broadway. Was that a, another step in this positive direction or was that so shocking to you when it happened? Um, it was a little shocking. I still feel a little shocked and surprised by what happened with that book, um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like there have been two movements afoot over the span of my career. One has been this increasing acceptance of LGBTQ people. And the other has been the increasing acceptance in the literary world of comics, of graphic novels. 
um, you know, when I started out, that was before Art Spiegelman's Mouse was published. Comics were still basically just like seen as, you know, for kids or superhero comics. Um, and that was all really changing over the, over the course of time as I was doing my work. And by the time I wrote this family memoir in the early 2000s, Fun Home, uh, there was like a, a different kind of world for it to go into. There, was, there were book critics who looked at that book as a, as a book and not as a, you know, lesser genre. So uh, I feel like that has been pretty a, a big factor in what happened to the story of Fun Home and why it, why it moved ultimately to this very mainstream, uh, you know, stage of, of Broadway. Did you feel like you were breaking through to another audience in that process for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, I didn't make the play. The play was made from, from my work. So the, the people who made the musical definitely reached a, a much wider audience. So was, I guess modesty is your guide word. <laughs> I mean, it is you ultimately that's out there. It is your life that's out there. You know, and maybe I'm just trying to downplay that because it's such a strange experience. <laughs> to have people going around your stuff in a way that is, you know, 500 people in a theater, 800 people in a theater every night, or? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it strange for you to see it dramatized? It certainly was at first. I got kind of inured to it <laughs> after a while, but it was very strange and wonderful to see that story brought brought to life on the stage yeah but i just want to add that it's part of the impact uh, or I should say part of you know what fueled the the power of allison's uh, work is just the courage to be so authentic and to be so personal and and self-revealing um there's no explaining uh the how different it is to to be specific to be so uh, detailed in, in one's own honesty, to be so honest with oneself. Uh, and uh, I think that fun home is just a, a testament to that old adage is from the specific comes the general. Well, I always find writers to be the most shy and, you know, there's a, there's a the social, there's not a, not a social problem, but a social disconnection. Usually writers, you know, are usually telling a story from a certain distance. And the, the idea of it kind of uh, being as, as close as, as, I don't know, exposed in a different way than your original writing is, uh, must be odd. <laughs> it was odd. And, you know, a, a musical is a very emotional form. And that was interesting, too, to see, uh, you know, I, I had hoped that my book had some emotional resonance, but seeing it, uh, you know, enacted on the stage with music was, uh, made me a little envious, like, wow, I want to be able to do that. <laughs> well, next time, maybe you will. <laughs> so it's 2021. We're still uh, fighting about the semantics of LGBTQ+, plus, uh, about, obviously, Chappelle and all that drama going on at the same time. Um, is that progress? The fact that people are actually talking about it in public? at this point and that it's an argument? Is it the same old crap from 30 years ago? Where do you guys stand on that? I think it's all of that. It's the same old crap, it's progress, it's backlash. 
it's it's just this ebb and flow of this very new idea about gender that people are struggling to get used to. Still. But yes. I'd like to add that I, uh, I agree with all of that. And I also feel that the, the way in which the, uh, it's, it's all being discussed, I think has changed. And I, so I, I, I do see it as a um, step forward and uh, I, I'm tickled uh, by it. Not, 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 not wanting it to happen, right. but I think the notion of having a forum where people are speaking about things publicly uh, is healthy. Well, there seems to be this split between what is for us, what is for the wider audience, you know, what is for the world to understand and what is for the gay community to understand and the trans community to understand. And it seems to be an ongoing misunderstanding that people just don't want to get over or something. It's very, uh, it's very disturbing in a way, because I feel like all the, 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 the comics that you are into in this in the movie and the, this whole push of, of gay comics uh, didn't I didn't feel like as I grew up and I'm about your guys age maybe a little older than Allison but um, you know push that there wasn't a pushback against it because it was kind of in its own culture yeah and now it's kind of like well you can't be cruel to you know trans people just because you think it's funny is is shocking to people somehow. To, uh, to straight people or people who are used to having, being empowered to do whatever they want. Yeah, you know, I feel like I don't even understand how the world works anymore. I've been very confused for the past five years about what's going on. But yeah, I mean, when, when the queer community was more of a ghetto, yeah, there was a certain um, immunity from the outside world. Like, yeah, they, we knew they hated us, um, but that, that we don't have that those tight that you know that those walls around us in the same way anymore there's much more assimilation much more um you know just less uh, less oppression in a way which creates the opportunity for more oppression uh, and yeah i think you know until recently Chappelle wouldn't have gotten this kind of flack for those comments everyone was making those terrible jokes uh, so, yeah, it's a kind of progress. Well, it, amazingly, he's still using the N-word relentlessly <laughs> through that entire show. And nobody, you know, forget about the fact that it's black people can use it and white people can't use it, whatever that is. But, the, you know, and the attack on Jews within the show, which is kind of like very offhanded. And, and he's very funny. I mean, he's a very smart guy, obviously. And he somehow feels like a victim, even though he's the most empowered person in the world at this point. Well, he's a showman too, and he's getting a shitload of attention for this, so. Yeah. It's messed up. And you and are you, were you surprised that the Bechtel test became as much of a thing that people talked about all the time as they have in the last 15 years? Yeah, I never expected anything like that. I mean, that whole thing was just a kind of little, you know, again, this little joke that we made in the ghetto. <laughs> Oh, wouldn't it be funny if movies were actually about real women instead of like cardboard projections? Um, but I didn't actually think the culture would ever recognize that. So it's that's kind of gratifying to see that people are getting that pretty basic principle, but still they're getting it. And do you feel like, do you both feel like we're making progress? At this moment, is this a moment of progress? 
Have we now, are we, is it getting better? Because we're still talking about the Bechtel test <laughs> in a lot of movies, unfortunately. I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm resistant to making any grand claims about progress because I know how quickly it can go down the tubes. So mm. I'm just going to uh, hang on to my hat there. And you've been in show business for a long time, Vivian. What is, have you felt the, have you felt the ceiling? Have you felt the glass ceiling? Have you felt the, that it's getting better for you as a filmmaker, that it's less, was, was there ever a big question with you about who you were either as a female or as a gay person to coming up the ladder? Oh, uh, definitely. And there's, there's, there, but there, uh, there, there are many more opportunities now uh, for women and for queers. Uh, at the same time, it's also uh, a more crowded field. So, uh, and the quality of work is unbelievably wonderful. So the competition is uh, totally fierce. Uh, I'm excited by it. I'm delighted by it. Uh, I'm also, I just want to add one comment, which is I don't count, I don't count, look at uh, the world as through the, um, uh, not through, uh, by counting the number of people, the number of women in Hollywood and, as directors, the number of you know, women as producers, for example, uh, I think it has, one has to take into account consciousness. And um, so I am eager for independent voices rather than more uh, repetition of uh, stereotypes that we have had uh, on screen. And I think that's been, we're in a very dynamic time right now. I, I'm very excited about it. Not necessarily politically, but in terms of uh, filmmaking, uh, it's a very exciting time. Well, I mean, is the, the, the trope of the queer best friend in movies <laughs> helpful or a hindrance? Is that, is that moving things forward or is that become its own problem? I immediately think of what Harvey Milk, uh, the politician in San Francisco who was gunned down for being queer, what he always said is come out, come out wherever you are because the more visible we are, then the more the general population knows, uh, knows somebody who is queer and has to wrestle with their uh, stereotypes, uh, their feelings, uh, their animosity, and also their uh, connection with, so. So is there still a queer comic book convention? I don't know, Allison, do you know? There's not another one scheduled. I, I, I think they're waiting to see if anyone's willing to organize the next one. Um, Jen and Justin organized these last two, three, I think, and they're, they just can't keep doing it, so. Well, have they, is, it, is it now part of all the con comic book conventions? I mean, has it been? Has, yeah, has... that's a good question. I, I actually thought that trend was going to happen much earlier. I was surprised at this kind of resurgence of, of a queer comics community that, that showed up for these conferences Jen and Justin were doing. Um, so I don't know. Is it, I mean, are we at a time? I mean, it's interesting because your, your press notes lead with a quote from Lana Wachowski and who is almost like the definition of this kind of where we are now in terms of the, the fluidity uh, and the question of you know, identity, uh, which goes beyond even, I think, traditional gay or traditional lesbian, traditional, you know, any one particular way of writing it down. Is that the next wave? Is that the thing that in terms of the art and in terms of how 
what you're seeing expressed in comic books now and the, and the young people that you brought into the movie, Vivian? Oh, Is most definitely. We have, most definitely. Um, uh, once I tiptoed past the year 2006 in the publication of Fun Home, uh, we actually include in the film uh, samples of uh, works by queer people around the world um, through web, web comics. And uh, ironically, my editor at one point looked at a couple of them and said, hey, we can't use any of these. Why not? Because they don't look queer. <laughs> well, that's exactly why we're including them because we the, the old um, signifiers are no longer applicable. And I find it to be a very dynamic and exciting uh, moment. And the reception for them, have you seen the movie with an audience through all of this? Uh, only uh, twice, <laughs> three times. And I uh, the first, by the way, the first was uh, at Tribeca. It was an outdoor screening on Pier 76 with helicopters flying and seagulls <laughs> <laughs> blasting and tugboats tugging. And it was boisterous as it should be for uh, a comics film. And uh, it was just delightful. I, I usually stand in the back or the side and watch people watch the film. When I watched a couple of folks, who I, know, I could tell just happened to like comics that didn't come for the queer comics part in particular. And um, they just were tickled uh, to no end. It was a, a joy. Well, it was a joy for me. I actually uh, went by on a comic book buying spree. I already had Fun Home, but I did go out and buy a bunch of the other books that you found or the ones I could find. It's, it's some of it's very challenging at this point to track them down, but um, yeah. it opened up the world for me a little bit more, which I was very appreciative of. I, I hope that you will also add Allison's new book to your list. I no doubt it's already on the uh, it's already on the the well I don't want to say my Amazon queue because that has its own political problems. <laughs> but I, I will go to my independent book. We're going to we're going we're gonna to bleep that sentence. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to go to my go to Book Soup out here in LA and uh, okay. buy it properly, which was a, you know during the pandemic they actually you could they had like a drive by kind of thing. You wow. have to order your books and then wait like two weeks, three weeks. It would take them a long time to get stuff. And then you drive by on sunset and park for a minute and they bring you your stuff to your car in a oh, bag so you know, that was sealed and all that stuff. <laughs> oh, so, so we're back to paper like, bag delivery of uh, queer, it was like the older, queer publications. You know, <laughs> it was 1968 all over again. <laughs> thank you guys for your time. It's much appreciated. And thank you for the movie and for all the work. Thank you, David. Thanks, nice David. to meet you. Nice take chatting care. with you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.